Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. My name is Olivia Agar. Thanks for listening into episode 235. So after three huge cropping seasons, analysts have pegged this one as a return to more normal production. And in today's episode, we're joined by Nick Booth, who's a regular contributor to Mercado Reports and is the director of Next Level Grain Marketing. And first up, we'll be discussing the recent forecast released by ABES for the new crop season, what their expectations are from a planting perspective, as well as production in our key crops and the crop progress we're seeing so far. Then we're going to shift our focus a bit to the global balance sheet. So what does that look like for the coming seasons and what factors could potentially influence the market that we should be keeping our eye on? Before we begin, let's jump into a quick market recap. And the wool market was under further pressure this week with the eastern market indicator currently 20% lower than the same time last year. So buyer sentiment this week was not strong to begin with. And there was a daunting supply of high vegetable matter wool particularly for those fine micron categories, which impacted pricing. The cattle market finally held fairly steady this week. Up north, though, the northern feeder price was further depressed by some October processor grid prices being released, which are about 10 cents per kilo lower than the September prices for 100-day grain-fed cattle, with plenty of supply availability being the driver there. We know that restockers aren't jumping into the market at this time of year when they've already built up numbers and all the talk of a dry spring to come as well. So Angus Brown did a really great piece of analysis this week looking at where price should be considering the level of slaughter that we're currently seeing and if the market has overcorrected. So definitely head to the Mercado website for a read of that one if you haven't already caught it. I'll leave it there today and let's get into the episode with Nick Booth. Thanks so much for joining us today, Nick. We're thrilled to have you back on the podcast to chat about the crop outlook and the global supply and demand balance. So how are you going today? Oh, really well. Thanks, Liv. Yeah, it's, um, we're having uh, a bit of rain over here at the moment, so it's always uh, very welcome. So, Excellent. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, we're, um, um, it's, a, it's a good time of year. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing your take on the market today. When I read those market comments you put together each week, I get more convinced that there's enough twists and turns in the market to make a pretty good series. So we'll jump in. And uh, what I want to talk about first is ABARES recently released their first take on the 2023-24 winter crop expectations. And there's a whole lot to unpack in there, but let's start with planting. So what sort of numbers are they forecasting for this season coming? Yeah, I, I think they've reverted back to a more of a, an average um, type of outlook. Um, yeah, you know, these the way they come up with their figures, from what I can tell, is is largely based on historical averages and and give a bit of ground for seasonal outlooks and and rotational differences and things like that. So, the numbers that they've come up with uh, are largely. Um, in line with, um, I guess, a 10-year average. Um, they, they are still at a historical high, but we're looking at, at sort of area uh, for wheat down about 2%, um, canola down 11%, uh, which I can expand on, and, and barley actually up um, 
up four percent. So I think the these revisions are, are probably in line with with some rotational uh, changes, uh, particularly around barley. Um, but you know, when you consider that that not everywhere in Australia had the same sort of opening uh, that we enjoyed last year, um, and big parts of Western Australia and Northern New South Wales um, have been dry up until recently, has meant that the longer season, um, higher risk uh, uh, cropping options have sort of come back a little bit. So we're seeing a probably a swing away from canola uh, of around 18% in WA, um, but nationally uh, down around that, down 11%. Uh, the, the area, I should say, though, of about 3.5 million hectares is actually above the 10-year average still. So we are looking at, a, um, I think, a another, you know, oh, well, the, the, the setup is there for another above-average type of cropping, uh, season, uh, well, production year, but um, let's see how spring and El Nino plays. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which I guess brings us to their yield and production expectations, which, mm-hmm. you know, are, are fairly more drastic than the planting um, forecast. So what are in those numbers, Nick? Yeah, yeah. look, I guess um, we've got to look at it in um, in uh, in the sense that we're coming off a very high base. Um, so the, the, the headline number... Um, of wheat down or wheat production in Australia down 34% was certainly a attention grabbing headline. Um, but really, you know, we've sort of come back to a, um, a figure of around the traditional average of around 26 million tonnes. Um, and that's with a view that, that, you know, we are looking at, uh, you know, looking at the, the, the seasonal outlooks, we are looking at a drier than average season and potentially a warmer than average spring as well. So, so I think you know we're, the the wise heads are trimming back their expectations for 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 wheat, um, canola. I mean it was it was out of the box last year. I can't remember the exact numbers. It was over eight million tons. This year we're looking at a four point nine million ton um, crop according to ABES, which is down forty one percent. And again, that's a uh, it's a real uh, good headline grabber, um, but it. It is, believe it or not, still around that sort of fifteen percent above the ten-year average. So, so you know, with modern varieties and and I think um, I think uh, price outlook, which at the start of the season was still pretty good, I think has incentivised a, a reasonable area of canola still to go in this year. Yeah, so obviously ABES are factoring in that sort of drier El Nino scenario into these um, expectations, but we've spoken on the podcast before about, you know, what exactly is an El Nino and there can be a, a fair bit of variability in what that means for rainfall. But Nick, you're sort of you're on the ground in the Air Peninsula. You have a lot of contact with growers across different regions. So anecdotally, how are you sort of hearing that the crop is progressing around the country so far? It's it's interesting. I think there's a there's a certain amount of um Cautious optimism, I think you'd say, um, particularly in the southeastern ag districts, um, South Australia, Victoria, Southern New South Wales, I believe, is all is all sitting on a pretty reasonable amount of of subsoil moisture, and and it's a case of just having um, the top profile and that subsoil profile, you know, meet up. Um, 
I know through South Australia and and I suspect uh, Victoria had excellent starts. Um, so crops were in the ground, established while the soil was warm. There was a, it's been a little bit dry since, um, but but by and large, you know, crops are up. Um, Western Australia has been a, a case of the haves and haves nots. There was a a cyclone or remnant of a cyclone that went through early in the season that really, I think, benefited some of the central wheat belt quite well. But I think some of those that uh, northern areas and the great southern regions um, missed out and they're really only catching up now at the start of June. So, so you know, if we, we look at, you know, going back to some of these ABARES numbers, there's probably going to be a little bit of chop and change there still. I'd suggest that maybe some canola area may come back uh, at the um you know that might sort of go into wheat or or barley, but um, but yeah, it's by and large. I think now um, I think the crop is in, and and like I say, I think there's a there's an air of cautious optimism. That's good to hear, and I know you know the, the eastern parts of the country has had a a bit to drink over the last couple of weeks as well, which is a, a nice top up for for those regions, but. Nick, how is the local market sort of pricing in these expectations of a lower production year so far? It's it's a it's a good and interesting question. The I think when you look at uh, the the figures being offered uh, to the grower for new season grain, um, they're really quite good um, given the the amount of carryover that we're likely to see in Australia this year. I wouldn't have thought necessarily there was a massive need for the trade to front end their their um their purchases, but you know we're seeing good numbers, a good strong positive basis in in a lot of places, um, and uh, yeah, it's I think you know growers are I think with one eye looking at the outlook, um, but I know certainly a lot of uh, clients over here have 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 already made some pretty good. You know, headway into their their forward sales for this season. Excellent. And I suppose the the other factor in pricing that we need to take into consideration is trying to get our head around the global balance sheet. So, mm. what what's that looking like for the upcoming season? Yeah. Look, the as we're we're all all aware that the markets come off quite hard um, in the past couple of months, um, and. Yeah, to my way of looking, it's probably come off too hard. There's a lot of water still to go under the bridge. The the northern hemisphere harvest is a, is about to start, or you know, is, is in its infancy. But you know, there's there's still a lot of um, potential changes. It's by no means in the bin yet. Um, the last eight, sorry, the last USDA report that came out on over the weekend sort of indicated that compared to last year, uh, stocks of the major Commodities, corn, beans, and wheat, are a bit looser than than where they were this time last year. Um, you know, we we saw, um, I think, corn and beans. Um, you know, corn is being. Uh, I think the the increase in stocks in corn is probably more about a lack of demand for U.S. corn, so that's enabled uh, U.S. corn stocks to build. Uh, soybeans, the spotlight is firmly on Brazil. They've had a massive crop over there, so that has certainly built uh, bean coffers. And China hasn't been buying up as much as as perhaps what um, 
um, you know, the US and Brazil would would like. Um, and and the USCA probably surprised everyone a little bit um, by finding, if you like, um, an extra you know six million ton of of wheat, courtesy of some buildings you know, outlooks for um, for uh, in Russia and and uh, and India as well as as Ukraine, uh, despite all the troubles that they're having over there. So I would have said that it was a fairly bearish signal, but we've seen the market go up. Um, since the the release of that report, and a lot of that is is probably well, is, is almost certainly around the concerns of what's driving, or sorry, it's around the concerns of what's happening in the U.S. corn belt, um, which at the moment is is quite dry. So it's a good indicator of of how much corn really does you know drive, or how much it influences the market. Yeah, right. And it was really interesting, I thought, because um, originally the USDA's expectation was for wheat S&D to be tightening and you know, stocks to use ratios to fall slightly year on year. But yeah, like you said, they've found that extra wheat and it's done a bit of a turnaround since their latest report. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the devil's always in the detail. Um, yeah, the, the outlook for demand is roughly in line with production for this coming year. Um, so that's you know a net even type of situation, but I think we're seeing you know the the you know big crops get bigger. So I think you know with Russia sort of coming out, um, dominating global markets, dominating exports, uh, looking at building their their crop for this year as well. So I think that's probably taken a little bit of uh, gloss off of the uh, off the of the in terms of the tightening stock outlook that we thought we were were getting yeah look that makes sense so you mentioned there you know the russian growth in production but what are some of the other key factors that we should be watching for looking ahead at these sort of market developments yeah it's there's yeah it's there, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge as i mentioned and and you know we i flagged that you know that the u.s corn belt is is quite dry um the you know the, if you if you follow any of the weather forecasts, there's differences in models, and there's certainly differences in a lot of opinions around whether or not they get some rain. Um, you know, corn is so important to the entire ag commodity index, and and anything less than than the the trend line yield is going to tighten things up. Um, Having said that, they do have bigger stocks than than this time last year, so there is a little bit more wriggle room there. But the market doesn't like it when 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 stocks get tighter, and and that's causing a little bit of anxiety in the market. Um, there's still time for for corn to to turn things around, um, but you know really they're going to need that sort of a, a good drink and and regular drinks through you know from now right through to. To, to you know August um, when it does start to really heat up in the states um Northern Europe like Europe in general is is looking like a veritable garden at the moment um you've got a um, it, it has the the last month has been dry um but I think what that's it might be trimming a little bit of yield um and probably adding some protein to to, to wheat and the like but um 
any sort of, I think any kind of uh, nervousness out there is probably more headline spinning. I, I, from everything I read and see is is suggesting that that the European continent is in for a fairly big season. What else can happen? The Black Sea, yeah, the the conflict over there is is not shy of throwing up the odd obstacle. Um, the uh, Nova Kokova Dam here uh, the other week is no. Um, exception to that um and there's you know some estimates it's going to take 20 odd years for ukraine to to really get back to their sort of agricultural uh where they were prior to the war um so you know there's the, you, you can't underestimate you know the the conflict over there in terms of what that can do um i think the market has essentially found different pathways rather than just the black sea looking increasingly unlikely that Russia is going to participate in the in the, the Black Sea Grain Initiative going forward. I know they've said that a few times already, um, but it's looking less and less likely. But I don't think that's going to be the, you know, it's going to cause any great consternation in, in global markets. I think we've seen the, you know, new trade routes develop and, and, and ways and means around it. And I guess, you know, the, the last thing I'd, I'd encourage your, your listeners to, to to take into consideration is we, we've talked a lot around supply, but you know the demand side of things is 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 obviously what drives pricing, and you know we've seen you know the reports of of China in particular have had um, some floods um, recently uh, through some of their most important agriculture cultural provinces um, something like 20 million tons is estimated to have been damaged to what extent is not exactly known at this stage but if you're relying on 20 million tons of milling wheat out of the 130 140,000 140 million tons that they're expected to produce you know that's, that's a shortfall um, so we're going to expect to see China probably ramp up their their import program a little bit which is going to I think be good for for um, for wheat prices, um, however, the the weather damaged wheat that um, that we're ref reflecting on now is probably going to come at the expense of corn imports. So, you know, I think if the US or Brazil or the like were were um, or Europe for that matter were relying on China to to um, soak up their um, their surplus of corn, I think you know that that's sort of going to be revised lower now. It was quite amazing to read some of the numbers around, you know, Chinese production. They've, you know, produced 17% of the world's wheat, which is by far the largest sort of single country producer. And, you know, to think that they've, they're also holding about 52% of the world's stocks, you know, they're, they're definitely a, a big player and a big driver in the market. Oh, look, hundred percent, and um, you know, I'm sure our, our barley producers can attest to that. Um, um, not to mention our our cray fishermen and lobster fishermen and and uh, vignerons. But um, look, you know, hopefully um, that will 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 see some uh, some um, uh, some resolution around the uh, those type of uh, issues. But you know, China, you know, as the largest consumer. Um, of commodities in the world is is paramount, you know, and that's you know, I keep coming back to you know demand is is I think the key. 
and something we'll be watching very closely, Nick. So thank you so much for sharing your insight into the new cropping season and all those market drivers. So I know at the rate of the last year, I'm sure we'll need you back on again pretty soon to discuss the developments in, in the grain and oilseed market. So thanks, Nick. Nothing will be sure or live that it will be completely different. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks.